Good morning and welcome to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you doing today? Hey, Jason. I'm doing fine. Hope you are. I'm wonderful, Bill. Always excited to spend an hour <laughs> with you on Saturday mornings right. and, and right. learn myself something good. Yeah, I hear you. Well, I know today we're going to be talking about at least one of the many subjects that we will broach today has to do with long-term care insurance, Bill, and this is something that everyone needs to think about. Well, I don't disagree with that, and I I can just hear people going, "Oh God, I don't want to hear about that." <laughs> but actually, uh, we, we the initial question is, why do we buy insurance? I mean, what's the purpose? Why do we want to give our money over to some big company, and we and we never get it back? I mean, why why would we do that? Well, why risk. do you do it? Well, to to avoid risk, Bill. Oh, okay. Well, I think I think that's exactly right. In other words, we purchase any kind of insurance to what shift the risk, the burden of the risk from ourselves to a company that can afford to pay us off in the event that something bad happens to us. Right. Right. And so uh, that, that's the purpose behind uh, all insurance, whether it's health insurance, casualty insurance, liability insurance. You know, one of the things we talk about with asset protection is the fact that the cornerstone of asset protection, no matter what kind of asset protection plan you utilize, is liability insurance. We want to be protected if some person decides to sue us for legitimate or illegitimate reasons. Uh, you know, that's one thing about our justice system. Uh, people can sue you for anything, whether you deserve it or not. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, having uh, a good liability of protection is, in fact, important. I mean, there are a lot of other things, legal things that you can do to protect yourself um, and a lot of those common things are create a limited liability company or a corporation. Uh, it's uh, you can have trust, irrevocable trust. You can do lots of things. Uh, you can even put your money offshore uh, so that folks can't go get it from you, uh, and that's legal and proper and all that good stuff. It can be expensive. Uh, and that's the reason most people don't do it. Uh, but at the same time, it's there for you. But okay, um, what now? There, there is uh, for anybody that owns a home. Uh, if you have a mortgage, you're required to have what kind of insurance? Homeowners insurance. Absolutely, homeowners insurance. Now. If it were not required by the mortgage company, the lender, would you have it anyway? Uh, maybe not. Well, you, your wife wouldn't let you come in the door <laughs> if you didn't have homeowner's insurance. Now, why do we have homeowner's insurance? Because we fear the risk of losing our home, right? Right. But the all right, so the question is, is that fear a legitimate fear? What do you think? Uh, odds are that you probably won't need to uh, make good on that policy. 
Well, exactly. In, in other words, what it boils down to, um, now you have to understand that homeowner's insurance typically covers uh, fire, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, does it uh, typically cover wind and hail damage? No. Does it cover flood damage? No. Right. In other words, you have to get extra insurance for that. So we're just really talking about homeowners insurance, which is fire insurance and liability insurance, right? Right. So most people, at least in, from what I see, typically pay between about $1,000 and several thousand dollars a year for homeowners insurance. So that's some percentage of the value of their home, right? Right. Well, what's the risk of loss? That's the real question. That's minimal. Well, minimal is almost re- – it's, it's worse than that. I mean, the fact is it's the, – the risk of a small house fire is about one one-hundredth of one percent. Wow. So what it boils down to and – that's, and that's the kind of house fire that most people could pay for out of pocket if they had to. You know, they have enough that they've saved where if they had to, they could pay for that damage. So the real question is, what's the probability or possibility or risk of, of actually having a fire that you cannot afford to repair or fix or a catastrophic house fire? And that's way below a one one hundredth of one percent. That's more like one one thousandth of one percent. So they, it does happen. You read about it in the paper occasionally. Uh, but as it relates to all the homeowners uh, around, it is an extraordinarily small possibility. But we still fear that risk, and we know that if our house burned down, that we could not afford to replace it. So guess what? Your wife wants you to have that insurance, right? Right. Okay. Um, now, when it comes to long-term care insurance, that seems to be a problem that's way far off. In other words, it's not affecting us now, right? Right. So, well, whoop. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> yeah. Someone left Accidents the bottle in the happen. There you go. All right. Well, do you have long-term care insurance? I do not. Well, that's what I thought you would say. Why? Because you're a young person, right? Relatively. And you, <laughs> and, and you have a family, and you have other priorities to spend your money on, right? Right. So, in other words, that long-term care insurance policy has not hit your radar because – you're struggling to put money back uh, for maybe college for your kids, paying off your mortgage, paying for your health insurance, saving for retirement, um, and a bunch of other things, making sure your wife gets a birthday present. <laughs> <laughs> Can't miss that. Uh, well, I'm just saying, or maybe planning for a nice vacation. You know, we all need respite. And all of those things are important, so I'm not trying to to push anything aside i'm simply saying that as human beings if it's not on our radar we tend not to look at it so what happens when people turn 60 or 65 and 70 and they don't have it what has happened to us at that point 
Uh, you've gotten older. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And are we in as good as health? No, you're not. Well, we might have had a little spat here or a little problem there, and our bodies don't work quite as well. But uh, And guess what? We're also either nearing retirement or we're in retirement. And what happens when we get into retirement with our income? Yeah, it either goes away or... Well, it doesn't completely go away, but it becomes a fixed income right. for most folks. And so it typically is a whole lot less once we retire than it was when we were working and, and making pretty good money. So the bottom line is that most people avoid buying long-term care insurance until it hits their radar. And once it hits their radar, which tends to be in their late 50s or 60s or even 70s, for most of us, it's too expensive and it's too late. Either we're, we've had a little health problem or uh, and, and because of that, we're uninsurable or we're rated so that the expense of the policy is even higher than it might otherwise be. Um, and so we're just out of luck. We have to self-insure. And is that smart? Well, I, I know we can't keep going on this without taking a break, but when we come back, I want to talk about some of the elements of long-term care insurance and what people should really be thinking about. Excellent. We will break that down right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander here on News Radio 680 WPTF. You can find more about Bill online at WGALaw.com. That's his website. There you can find information about all the services Bill provides, and you can also find out information about the next seminar coming up in July. These are free seminars that Bill puts on. We talk about them frequently on the show. If you're interested in attending one, WGALaw.com is the best place to register for one of the free seminars. You can also call the office as well. But Bill, we're talking about long-term care insurance right now, and uh, we we sort of briefly went over why this is important for us to have and when it is important. Well, first, it's really important for folks to understand, because a lot of folks don't get this, that If you need to pay somebody to help care for you, to help you perform activities of of normal daily life, activities of daily living, or sometimes called ADLs, um, your health insurance does not cover it. And when you're retired, Medicare does not cover these expenses. It's the biggest hole in our safety net where most people think their health care is covered by the expensive insurance that you pay for. And health insurance is outrageously expensive, but there's a huge risk because we have medical issues that need to be covered. uh, And none of us can afford to to pay the high price of medical care. But the high price of long-term care, where you're paying somebody to help you uh, live, Uh, with your activities of daily living, whether that's dressing or uh, preparing food or eating or mobility, getting around, 
uh, or, or going to the bathroom or getting a shower, any of those things, um, or undressing or getting ready for bed, getting out of bed, all of that stuff, if you need help doing it, uh, taking medication, whatever it is, your insurance, your health insurance is not going to cover it, and Medicare does not cover it. Hence, it's the long-term care if you buy it, but it's horribly expensive. In fact, a long-term care crisis for most families is the equivalent of your house burning down with no insurance, and so that's the financial risk. So who needs long-term care insurance the most? And that's a good question because it's sort of like, well, if I'm not in a high-risk category, maybe I should uh, uh, you know, just bear the risk and not pay those premiums. Well, it's sort of inverse to what you might think. The folks who need it the most sometimes are the ones who can least afford it. And so it's truthfully, it's normal middle-class families that need it the most. And so you say, why do they need it the most? Well, typically, middle-class folks, when they've retired, uh, have adequate income to get along, but not enough income in the event that they have to pay for care. Uh, and their nest eggs tend to be modest. Now, these are folks that worked all their lives, that, that worked hard, they built up a nest egg, they don't have debt, uh, they typically own their house, um, and, and they get along pretty good as long as they're in good health. But those are the folks who actually need long-term care insurance the most. Well, and, and the reason is real simple. If you've done really well financially and your net worth is, say, a million and a half, three million, four million dollars, and you've got liquidity, um, you don't need long term care insurance. You can self insure because if you have a crisis that ends up costing you three or four hundred thousand dollars, okay, your kids get a little bit less money, but you still can pay those bills. And so the bottom line is, you can get by without the insurance. Um, if you're dirt poor, uh, have very low income, uh, then you there might be a government program that can help you um, with some of this. But uh, unfortunately, and there, there's a myth in here too, that if you don't have any assets that the government will take care of you, that is plainly false, not true at all. And if uh, that's where another safety net uh, needs to be created, because there are a lot of folks that have pretty good income, so they're not eligible for any of these assistance programs, but they don't have the nest egg and they don't have enough income to pay for care and also their regular living expenses. So, uh, so middle-class families are the biggie uh, in terms of need. And the other are women. W women are at a much higher risk than men. Why is that true? And of course, there's always exceptions to the rule. So men need it as well, but the women need it more. And the reason for a lot of men is that oftentimes uh, men can be taken care of by their, their wife, and then we get to die and leave our, our wives to struggle by themselves. <laughs> and so uh, 
uh, they, they're the ones who are at a much higher risk. Uh, so if you can't afford it for both, then buying it for uh, the wife, it tends to be um, a pretty, uh, uh, at least an option that works. Um, the, the other thing, so if you're in the market for long-term care insurance, the, the biggest mistake people make is they wait until it's too late where they can't afford it. The easy solution is buy it when you're young or a lot younger. But where's the problem there, Jason? You're, you fall into that category. Where's the problem? Paying for it. Exactly. But it's a whole lot less expensive for your lifetime if you buy it young. The least expensive policy I've ever seen was a policy that started out as a group policy where a young man who started working for a company, it was offered to him. He took it, had no clue what he was buying, but he said, yes, I'll take all these benefits that you're offering. And 30 years later, when he was in his 50s, his policy was costing him $25 a month. Wow. So what I'm getting at is that his lifetime costs for long-term care insurance is, is minimal. And, of course, when upon his retirement and with a fixed income, it's extremely low when you do that. So the point is that for those of, of folks who um, have children and grandchildren and have plenty of, of income, plenty of money for themselves because – uh, you know, the baby boomer, boomers, our generation, there are a lot of us who are fairly well-to-do. And for those folks, uh, you should consider uh, actually um, uh, shopping for and purchasing a long-term care policy for your children and or grandchildren. Um, it's um, it, it's, it, it's a, a wonderful gift <laughs> that you can give while they're not thinking about those kinds of things, you can think for them because you're older and wiser and and uh, can understand the financial dynamics. And, of course, the other thing, too, futuristically, is that, uh, you know, our generation, and I shouldn't say our, I should say my generation, there are an awful lot of folks who are actually living on Social Security. You know, they don't really have any savings. In the future... All the futurists basically say Social Security is not going to be enough money to live on, that it, that it probably will be enough to pay for health care costs, but they're not factoring in long-term care. They're just talking about normal health insurance and deductibles and copays and drugs and things like that. Then that's about all Social Security is going to be good for in the future. So what that means is is that people have to have savings to pay for all of their living expenses. And if, then if they have a long-term care crisis on top of that, they're in real, real trouble. And what's the, one of the biggest concerns for seniors when it comes to money? Having it to spend. Well, the biggest concern is running out of it yeah. during their lifetime. And, of course, if uh, so it all factors in in terms of how is it going to work out for our children and grandchildren when they get to be retirement age. And long-term care insurance and the cost of long-term care is a big factor in that. And I know that we're getting to a point where I need to take another break, but I, I, when we come back, I want to talk about just a, two or three little factors as it relates to purchasing long-term care insurance if you're in the market for it. 
Excellent. Look forward to those tips, Bill. We'll get to that right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. You can find more about him online at WGALaw.com. You can also find plenty of great facts and tips from Bill in a quick and easy, digestible form with his podcast, the Asset Protection Today podcast. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, anyone, you name it, Bill's podcast is there. It's the Asset Protection Today podcast. We talk about a lot of the subjects that we broach here on the show every Saturday at 11 here on News Radio 680 WPTF, but these are uh, in shorter form, about uh, 10 to 15 minutes bill that uh, you know people can listen to these on the go and get great tips from you well i appreciate you saying something like that uh jason uh uh, we we try to make it digestible yes for sure well these are complex topics and we're talking about long-term care insurance bill and we're now going to break down how to buy long-term care insurance well the first thing for folks to recognize is that uh unlike car insurance or homeowner's insurance, long-term care insurance is not standard. In other words, you're you're not comparing apples to apples when you compare long-term care insurance policies from one company to another, or even a group policy to an individual policy with the same company. Uh, There are lots and lots of variables. It can be within the definitions, or it can be uh, the coverages, it, it can be a lot of different things, but you have to recognize that you're, you're comparing apples to oranges to grapes with each policy. So what does that mean to you? It means that you really should, when you're looking for long-term care insurance, go to someone who is an experienced in long-term care, not your neighbor, I mean, anybody, any insurance agent can sell it to you, but if they have no clue what they're selling, you may not get what you actually need. And I've had lots of clients who have, in fact, insurance policies that they paid for for a number of years that really didn't help them when, when they needed the help. So you have to know what kind of policy you're getting to make sure that it's what you personally need. Now, The next thing you you need to do is to understand that the younger you get it, the better. I think I've covered that. Um, Now, if the younger you are, the more important it is that you have an inflation rider with uh, your policy. And with most policies, most of us truthfully cannot afford a 5% inflation rider, but that is typically the best inflation rider that you can get. But a 3% inflation rider is affordable. So typically what I recommend is to get a little more coverage than what you might need in terms of the dollar that it covers now with a lower inflation rider so that hopefully in 25 years or 30 years when you actually need the coverage, you'll have an adequate amount of coverage. The other thing, if you can do it, and this can be difficult, is to factor in what your retirement income will look like 
Because if you can do that, you can reduce the amount of coverage that you would have because you don't you you don't need necessarily a coverage that would pay for the 100% of the cost of care because you also have income that can reduce the need for how much coverage you have. So, But that's uh, a matter of mathematics and figuring that out. Another big piece is the uh, elimination or the waiting period inside your policy before it picks up. Uh, it can be zero days, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, 120 days or more even a half a year. Um, and my recommendation there is, for most folks, 90 days. Uh, it, I mean, if you go less than 90 days, the cost of the premium, the cost of the policy goes way up. And that makes it less affordable for most of us. And 90, 90 days is a reasonable period to wait until your coverage, because we can self-insure for those 90 days. If you go longer than 90 days, oftentimes, and again, depending on how they define the waiting period, and that's an important definition to know in your policy, is um, too long. You know, it's it's kind of thing where we need coverage before that. Um, and so that, that's a really important factor in terms of, of what it is. And, of course, the last piece of it is how much coverage do you think you'll need? And you have to figure uh, in the fact that long-term care inflation tends or at historically has been closer to 5% plus, 5 to 6% a year, which is higher than normal inflation, which normally runs about a percent and a half to 2%. Um, so, you know, it, it, there's, there's no secret formula, but you have to, to basically – figure out what you can afford and, and where uh, to put these parameters in your policy. So all of that stuff is important when looking at it. But the most important thing is uh, if, if you're insurable um, and if you can afford it and you can continue to inf- afford it in retirement, that's another mistake that people make. They buy a policy that they can afford during their working years, and then they get into retirement and go, oh, I can't afford that anymore. I mean, I have to give up going out to eat. <laughs> so, uh, And that's wasteful because if you can't afford it in retirement, you can't afford it, and you might as well just say, you know, not going to do it. Uh, and that's where a lot of folks end up. Uh, uh, with that, but it's an important piece, and unfortunately, our healthcare system doesn't cover it, and it's it's where a lot of seniors struggle. You know, the risk of loss, and I, I didn't throw these numbers out for a married couple that turns 65 years of age together, and they're in both in good health. The risk of of one of them having a long-term care crisis is actually 80 percent. And the percentage uh, for crisis for each one of us is uh, at 65 in good health is 50% plus, and the plus is primarily for the women. Uh, women are much higher risk than men, uh, and it's just uh, those. When you think of the risk at that point, that that sort of blows your mind. But it's there, and it, it's um, it's an important. Um, thing for folks to understand. And it's also the reason that we do our seminars 
each month because folks are looking for assistance, and we're good at helping families get financial assistance, but it's not there for everyone. It's there for those who, who can get it. And that's one of the reasons our seminars are so important is because it, it, you can learn where the benefits are, where you can get them, and those programs where you're never going to be eligible. Knowing what you can't get is just as important as knowing what you can get, and that's what our seminars do for folks. Yeah, and if you want to get ahead, go ahead and register for the next one. That's on July 10th. Uh, It'll be here before you know it. It's a great way to get information about the topics that Bill has been discussing. Again, you can go online to WGALaw.com and register for free there. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with more. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Wonderful Saturday morning to you, Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander, and we've uh, we've covered long-term care insurance, Bill, and you had another topic listed on the rundown that uh, put a smile on my face, and it says here that smart people can be stupid about money. Well, that's exactly right. Smart people can be stupid. Just ask your wife. She'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) And for clarity, she's referring to me, not not herself. Right, exactly. But, I mean, it it really – this is not a gender-based thing. Uh, It's the fact that it's uh, just human dynamics, I guess. Uh, it, it and it really comes down to what's called behavioral economics, but it's true for all of us. We all do stupid stuff, uh, and we and particularly when it comes to money. So it, I mean, there are. So I want to talk uh, briefly about uh, some of the the stupid things we do. Uh, and uh, the the way that folks can uh, possibly uh, start thinking about how to fix it. <laughs> okay. There's, uh, of course, uh, for most of us, there's no fix. <laughs> so we will call this mind over money. But I mean, and I, and I'll give uh, a, a real quick and dirty. I mean. For instance, uh, for those who like wine, and there's just as many women out there as men who like wine, will, you know, go uh, a drive across town to to save uh, a little money on a bottle of wine. In other words, we like sales. We uh, when we find a, a good buy on a bottle of wine, we, you know, we'll we'll go. Uh, make an effort and and go across town to buy that bottle of wine, and then we'll go out to dinner and order a glass of wine that what costs more than the bottle that we paid for. <laughs> you know, now obviously there's a disconnect there. I mean, we can enjoy uh, wine, but I'm just simply saying. But that's part of behavioral economics. I mean, yes, we enjoy. 
a glass of wine with dinner, and so it makes the dinner pleasant. But when it comes to money economics, it's just downright stupid. (laughs) (laughs) But the same thing is we'll go to dinner and order a cocktail when, you know, if we made it at home, it would be a fraction uh, of the cost. I mean, that that's just sort of – I mean, of course, the same thing's true with f- preparing dinner at home versus going out to eat. It's obviously much more expensive. It's far less expensive to, to take your lunch to work than it is to go out to lunch because it's amazing how expensive it is to go out to lunch. That's one I do. <laughs> uh, but, okay, so let's, let's get into behavioral economics – you know, actually, it's an interesting topic. Uh, in, in in the past number of years, three Nobel Prizes have been won by folks who've studied behavioral economics. In other words, what we do with our money and how stupid we are with our money. Okay. Um, and so the, the first one uh, that's pretty interesting um, in terms of idiosyncrasies is the, the we get our financial advice from butchers <laughs> now i'm not talking about your financial advisor it's <laughs> it's the um, what it boils down to is that you know oftentimes we're in a working environment where we're around others who we consider to be very talented people, very smart people who do a really good job, and we're impressed with them. And so for, for folks who, who work in a supermarket, oftentimes the butcher uh, is that person, the person who's successful, the person who's very skilled. The, uh, oftentimes uh, they are folks that others respect. Uh, and so guess what? Oftentimes people uh, who work in supermarkets will uh, – who do you think they'll ask for financial advice? The butcher. Exactly. That's the whole point is the fact that – but the, the same might be um, uh, true here, uh, Jason, uh, at the radio station, that there are folks here like yourself who are considered extremely talented, great uh, voices, great uh, with being able to edit and um, you know do all the computer stuff you guys do and and that sort of thing. Well, it wouldn't surprise me if some, particularly uh, other folks who work here, who admire you for your skill at what you do, would say, Jason, what, what are you invested in? How, you know, how do you make your money on the side and things like that? What should I do? That's, that's common in every workplace where uh, you may have zero intelligence. Now, I, I, I know better, but zero intelligence when it comes to financial advice and investing, but you're really good at other stuff. But people tend to ask those we respect for other reasons about what they do with money. And that can be very, very dangerous uh, for us when it it comes to that. Um, Another off-brand of that particular thing is, is that we sometimes overestimate our own ability to judge the quality of advice that's given to us. 
And when it comes to actually investing in the, in the stock market, particularly if we think we can do it ourselves without help, you know, there are very, very few people who actually keep up with the markets one way or the other. And the typical investor, the, those of us who get taken advantage by Wall Street in the investment markets, that's why people get so fed up with it, is the fact that we're the ones who get taken advantage of. The folks on Wall Street make money whether we make money or we lose money. They don't care. You know, they <laughs> at least that's the way I think of it anyway. And so what's the mistake that so many of us do? We don't invest our money in the market until we feel like it's safe. And unfortunately, when typically when we feel safe, that's when the markets tend to be high. Well, when the markets are high, where do you think it's going to go? It's going to go down. Well, markets are volatile, so it goes up and down. And the other mistake that we make when we invest when we feel like it's safe is we divest when we feel it's unsafe. Well, when do we feel like it's unsafe? When the markets are down. Exactly. So guess what? We're doing the exact inverse of what we should be doing as it relates to investing. In other words, investing is pretty simple when it comes to the dynamics of you buy low, you sell high. But most of us, when it comes to investing, particularly in the markets that we don't understand, do it the opposite way. You know, if we were trading a car, we understand if the dealer's not offering us near what we think our car's worth. <laughs> or if they're, you know, if we, you know, that's where we comparison shop, we we look at Craigslist, we look at the dealer prices, we look at it all. But when it comes to investing our money, you know, yes, we can compare CD rates at different institutions and banks and things like that. But when it comes to the market, see, that's really not investing, that's saving. But when it comes to investing, you know, sticking with what you understand or having a financial advisor who is reputable uh, that you trust and a, a financial advisor who is experienced and or uh, they uh, have a fiduciary responsibility to you. In other words, some they don't have to do that. They don't have to uh, always invest in what's your, in your best interest unless they use a fiduciary standard. And so having a financial advisor that uses a fiduciary standard is also something that can help you. It's not an end in itself because they need to be a good financial advisor too, but uh, finding someone that that you feel like you can uh, put your faith into uh, and giving them enough time to be successful at it is important as well. Now, there, there are lots of other quirks. Another crazy thing we do is with credit cards. Um, and we're weird about credit cards, but a lot of folks have more than one credit card. They might have five or six credit cards, and they have uh, outstanding balances on all of them and uh, different credit cards, or we might have an equity line or that's a much lower interest rate or our mortgage is much lower rated, uh, that sort of thing. So 
do you think most people actually pay off the credit card that has the highest interest rate? No. That's exactly right, and that's stupid. In other words, if you have five or six cards, you're, you're mathematically, you will uh, save the most money by what? Paying off the credit card with the highest interest rate first and then going to the next credit card. Otherwise, just paying minimums on the ones that – that you can't do. Another thing that's absolutely crazy is people will have a credit card debt with a high interest rate when they have enough money in their savings account to pay it off. Well, their savings account might be making a percent interest in their and their interest rate on their credit is like 18 or 25 percent which is outrageous. So by not paying it off, we're just losing money each and every month. And so um, a, a lot now there is an inverse calculation to it. In other words, there's some there's some psychologists and psychiatrists who will say, well, pay the smallest one off first so that you feel good about getting one off off the tab and then go to the next one. But the fact is, financially, you do the best by paying off the highest interest rate first and getting that off the books completely and then going to the next highest until the next highest until you get them all paid off. So that's another quirky thing that uh, is just sort of uh, important to focus on those, that debt with the highest uh, interest rate that you're paying. Now, Another quirky thing that we do very briefly is that people tend to uh, use round numbers, you know, like 5%, 10%, 15%, that sort of thing, as opposed to uh, what might be in your best interest. And so this is where, for instance, with your retirement account deduction from your wage, um, you know, your employer might offer 6%. Uh, match on your contribution, but an awful lot of folks who uh, have companies with a 6% match only contribute 5%. You know, we like those rounder numbers, if you will, 5, 10, 15, 20, that sort of thing. Well, the truth is, is that uh, you're much better off financially to take the full match. It's free money. Why would you not do that? But there are an awful lot of us who stick with those round numbers. And if you have to stick with a, a, a number like that, then uh, go to 10%. <laughs> you know, you'll be a whole lot better off uh, long term uh, if you do that. And so uh, sometimes that just takes a mind game to make it work for you. But uh, those are some of the crazy things that we do. Uh, with our money that makes no sense at all and it and it and you know it has nothing to do with how educated we are because you could be an absolute genius in something and just be quite frankly stupid with money and and we all have these problems it's not like there's anyone out there who does everything perfectly we've all made mistakes with money we've all screwed up but we need to get ourselves on course the best we can, and, and that's, that's where we need to be. That's great advice, and human nature is just a bizarre thing, but if we uh, take a step back and think smart about things, we can sort of overcome those weird habits that we may have. A quick break and back with more. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF.
News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. We uh, just have a short amount of time here, enough time for me to remind you to go online to WGALaw.com. That is Bill's website. You can find plenty of information about him there. You can also call the office if you want to register for July's free seminar or if you want to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill, 919 256 7,000 is the number. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you'll join us again next Saturday at 11 for Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a wonderful weekend.